Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Grace Chapel on this Super Bowl Sunday. My name is Jim Labatt. I'm one of the elders here. My wife, Barbara, and our daughter, Katrina, have been attending Grace Chapel since the very beginning, back in the late 80s, early 90s. So are you all ready for the Super Bowl? All right. How many of you are rooting for the San Francisco 49ers? We got a few, okay. Hold that question. And how many of you are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? How many of you don't really care who wins? That's <laughs> probably the best way to approach the game. You can just sit back, eat snacks, enjoy the commercials and the halftime show, and not get stressed out by the game or the final score. Personally, I don't care who wins today because my New York Jets are not in the game. In fact, they haven't played in the Super Bowl in over 50 years. <laughs> That's right, 1969, Super Bowl III, when I was thin and had brown hair. <laughs> we, and I mean we, defeated the Baltimore Colts 16-7. to So even though we're not playing in today's game and haven't played in a long time, we are undefeated in the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, do we have any other Jet fans out there? A couple, all right. I have a feeling there's probably a few more of you out there, but you don't want to admit it today. I, un I understand. Actually, the good thing about being a Jet fan is we have really learned patience, which, as you know, is a virtue. Okay, enough about the Jets, but I will have to use a sports metaphor today to explain my presence up here. See, if you follow professional sports at all, especially football, you know that players often get injured. So when a particular player is unable to play, the coach or one of his teammates will use an old cliche, an old sports cliche, to explain what happens next. Anybody out there recall what that phrase is? Next man up. Who said it? Thank you. Next man up. Yes. When one person can't perform, for any reason, someone has to step in. And that's exactly what's going on here today. Yesterday morning, Pastor Josh sent out a text message to all the elders saying that he had been diagnosed with the flu. Poor Josh, right? So he wanted to know if any one of us would be willing to step forward in his place. And at that point, quite honestly, it felt like the old Three Stooges routine. <laughs> Where everybody else in the line stepped backward. <laughs> and I was left up there alone. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's I willingly step forward, and I'm eager to share this message with you. Before I do, though, would you just uh, bow your heads and join me in prayer, please? Dear Lord, first of all, we lift up our pastor to you, Lord, today. Josh is suffering from the flu. We ask you to just work in his life, Lord, for we know that by your stripes he is healed. And so we ask you to be with him and with his entire family today. We also ask you to be with all the others in our a body of believers who cannot be here today for physical reasons or other reasons. And we especially ask you to be with everyone who is here today because we know that that's part of your plan, Lord, that they be here. Open their hearts to the message. Help me to uh, speak about your word in a way that touches hearts. And we ask you to uh, be with one another this day as we look into one another's eyes and talk to one another and have fellowship with one another, both here at church in the... Uh, luncheon after church, and in, in the Super Bowl gatherings, Lord. Sometimes just those one-on-one -on -one conversations uh, are opportunities, Lord. So you ask, we ask you to help us to be open to them and open hearts as well to hear about you and, and what you can do in our lives. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to start today with a prayer because obviously prayer is important for all of our activities, but the title of this message is, Does God Answer Our Prayers? So before I share my thoughts with you, think, think about that for a second. Think about that question. Does God answer our prayers? If one of your children asked you that question, or if a neighbor or a coworker who's not a believer asked you to answer that question, what would you say? On the surface, to a teacher like myself, it sounds like an easy fill-in-the-blank yes or no question. But if you really stop to think about it, it's more of an essay question with many variables because not all of our prayer requests are the same. So today we're going to look at one type of request as we try to answer that question. Does God answer our prayers? I'm sure most of you have been in a church service or have listened to a Christian radio station where the personal testimony is something like the following. Our child was seriously ill, and the doctors gave us an extremely negative prognosis. They didn't think our child would live, but we did not give up hope. We prayed and prayed, and everyone we knew prayed for healing, and God answered our prayers. Our child recovered and is healthy and strong today. God is good. Praise God. In fact, just last year, there was a movie out called Breakthrough, and that movie addresses a similar situation. So now, bear with me. We'll just take a few minutes to look at the trailer from that movie, just so we can get a good feel for what that situation is like. there for each other. Nice sermon, Pastor. What do you guys have on for the rest of the day? Well, John has a basketball game. Yeah, I've seen this guy hoop it up around here. This kid is so lit. Hey, Text your mom tomorrow and tell her when and where to pick you up. And uh, don't do anything stupid. Love you guys. Hey. <laughs> Boys, get off the ice. We're training for the Olympics, sir. Cindy. John! He's been underwater for more than 15 minutes. It's gonna be a recovery, not a rescue. I got something. We got him! We've done everything medically possible. There's nothing more we can do. <laughs> no. Please, God, send your Holy Spirit to save my son. St. Charles boy who spent 15 minutes trapped underwater is continuing to fight for his life. I don't believe John will survive the night. You don't know my son. He is a fighter. So I need you to be the best for John and you just let God do the rest. You are my pride and joy. I can't wait to see you shoot those baskets and run up and down the court again. The Smith family asked for one thing. Please pray for John. In the water that day, I was ready to give up, but then I hear this voice telling me, go back. Either I'm nuts or God's talking to you. But I don't believe in God. I believe, but maybe that only goes so far with something like this. I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to walk alongside you for as long as it takes. 
Did you see the Facebook page? It's going viral. Call me. I hope he's gonna be okay. We're not gonna get through this alone. Whatever you have for me, for Brian, for John, This particular movie is based on a true story, and I'm sure you've all heard similar versions of this story on numerous occasions. As a result, I have faith in God, and I praise him for his healing powers and his answers to prayer. About four years ago, however, our family experienced this story with a distinctly different outcome. Many of you know our daughter, Maria. She, too, grew up in this church. But on her 30th birthday, December 21st, 2015, she complained of a terrible headache, which she imagined to be a, a migraine, though she had never experienced migraines before. She visited her doctor, and that doctor gave her some kind of medicine. But Maria's pain persisted. Two days later, we brought her to the emergency facility. And again, the treatment offered did not help. <clears throat> on Christmas Day, Maria lost her vision in one eye. So we called an ambulance and brought her to the hospital. Maria never came home from the hospital. Within 30 days, she was gone. Initially, the hospital doctors were puzzled by Maria's problems. And they actually described her as a diagnostic dilemma. They could not figure out what was causing her such pain and what had caused her loss of vision in that one eye. Later, too, she lost her ability to swallow, and she had to be put on a feeding tube. After numerous tests and procedures, they finally figured out that she had breast cancer, and that it had spread to her brain. By then, however, the damage had been done, and they could do nothing to save her. And Maria is now in heaven. But wait, that can't be true. We prayed for her healing. Everyone prayed for her recovery. Yet Maria did not survive. So did God not answer our prayers? This is the question our family has been thinking about since Maria passed. And that's why Barbara and I purposely did not go to see that movie last year. We thought it might be too painful. It might bring up painful memories of our loss. And it might bring up more questions than answers. Why did God not save Maria? Why did he not answer our prayers? Did we do something wrong? Did we pray incorrectly? Did we not pray enough? Did we not have faith? We have lots of questions connected to that basic question. Does God answer our prayers? So we need to look at the Bible to try and find some answers. In John 15, 7, Jesus said, you know, Jesus, the red letters, right, in the Bible? Son of God, he said, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Earlier in John 14, 14, Jesus also said, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Here's one more from John 15, 16. Again, Jesus is speaking. 
You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So again, the three key thoughts from those verses. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So according to those words of Jesus, he does answer our prayers. But what happened in Maria's case? In my quest to understand, I recalled other similar stories of loss in the Bible. Let's start with David in the Old Testament, who was described in 1 Samuel 13, 14 as a man after God's own heart. So David was not just any man, just an average individual. No, David was close to God, a man after God's own heart. But David, too, endured a difficult situation with his child. If you recall the story of David, you know that he had an adulterous relationship with his married neighbor, Bathsheba. And David was also responsible for the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Let me read to you the next part of this story. When Nathan the prophet tells David what, that what he has done is wrong, and after being called out by Nathan for his sins, David admits his guilt. Beginning in 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. So in this case, it appears that God did not answer David's prayer for the child's life. Instead, God punished David for his sin and allowed the boy to die because of David's sin. The book of Job, also in the Old Testament, chronicles another tragic loss of life. Regarding Job, in the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 8, God says, There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Once again, we see a man who is not average. Like David, Job, too, is close to God. The text also says that Job often prayed for his children, his ten children, seven sons and three daughters. In that same first chapter, however, we read the following verses, 9 to 22, when God is actually having a conversation with Satan. And God seems to be bragging about Job and about his faith. In verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does God fear, excuse me, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So Satan is pretty sarcastic and skeptical here. 
He believes that the only reason Job fears God and shuns evil is because God has provided Job with so many blessings. Satan believes that if God took away all those blessings from Job, then Job would no longer be faithful and would curse God. So in verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. This is a terrible tragedy, isn't it? All this loss of life. I think, I think sometimes we read this story and it doesn't quite sink in because it's so extreme and it happened so long ago. Yet we know terrible family tragedies like this still occur today. Just last Sunday, we all heard about another terrible tragedy when a helicopter crashed in California and nine people died. A father and his daughter, a mother and her daughter, a coach and his wife and daughter, and another coach and the pilot of that helicopter. All these people obviously left loved ones behind. A little over a year ago, too, we heard about a stretch limousine that crashed about an hour southwest of here, and 20 people died, including four daughters and one family. These losses are so hard to understand. So going back to Job, let's summarize what he lost. He lost oxen, donkeys, servants, then sheep and more servants, then camels and more servants, and then finally his house collapsed and all ten of his children died. Obviously, Satan expected Job to curse God at that point, but that's not what happened. In verse 20, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, and then he fell to the ground in worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So even though we know that Job prayed for his children, in this example too, it appears that God did not answer his prayers. In this case though, Job was not being punished like David for his sin. No, instead, God allowed Satan to test Job's faithfulness by taking away his children and his possessions. One more example from the New Testament. 
we recall the story of Lazarus. When this friend of Jesus became sick, his two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus regarding the situation. Once again, Lazarus is a man close to God. In John eleven three, the Bible says, the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved that whole family. Verse 5 says so. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. However, instead of rushing to see Lazarus or healing him from afar, Jesus stayed where he was for two more days, and Lazarus died. At that point, in John 11, 14 and 15, Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Looking back at that story 2,000 years later, it's easy to see that Jesus had a bigger plan. But Mary and Martha did not know that plan. And the Bible doesn't say specifically that they prayed for Lazarus, but I'm sure they did. And once again, it does not appear that God answered their prayers. No. They watched their brother die, and they buried him before Jesus returned. That had to be so hard for them, especially knowing that their good friend Jesus had the power to heal Lazarus and save him. If you've lost a loved one, and I'm sure everyone in this room has lost someone, you know that pain of death. You know that suffering. Obviously, Jesus knew all along that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus had to die first for that to happen. Let's look at verses 41 to 44 in that same chapter when Jesus goes to the grave of Lazarus four days after he had been buried. In 41, it says, So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. In a similar way, Jesus himself offered his life on the cross to prove his power over death through his resurrection. So the death of Lazarus and the death of Jesus both serve a greater purpose, a purpose that is not initially understood by those who are close to the one who died. So what happened in Maria's case? Am I being punished like David for my sins? That's a definite possibility since I have sinned often. Or is God testing me and others who love Maria just as he tested Job? Again, that's a possibility, and we are all dealing with broken hearts and pondering our loss. Or is Maria's passing, like the passing of Lazarus, serving a greater purpose, one well beyond our earthly understanding? This possibility, too, exists, but we may not learn the answer until we ourselves pass into eternity. So what have I learned from all these stories and others like them? I've realized that God doesn't have the same earthly plan a one-size-fits-all plan for everyone. 
Just because God often answers our prayers and heals some people doesn't necessarily mean he's going to treat all others in the same way. Rather, God answers our prayers in numerous ways, and he has a unique plan for each of us. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. Yes, we lost Maria. Just as David lost his son, just as Job lost his children, and just as Mary and Martha lost their brother for a short time before God brought him back to life. Rather than look at Maria's passing from a purely earthly perspective, however, we must take the eternal view. We must trust that God has plans to give us a hope and a future, a heavenly future that will include Maria, and an eternal future that will not end in death. So does God answer our prayers? Of course he does, in his time and in his way. And for that I am grateful. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful that you do listen to us, Lord. You created us and you love us and you care about us and you are with us at all times. We especially ask you to be with those who are suffering in, in similar situations where either they themselves have a medical situation or someone they love is going through a medical difficulty. We just ask you to be with them through it. Help them to reach out to you, to cry out to you, to communicate with you. And help them most of all to put their faith and their trust in you, Lord, no matter the outcome. Help them to keep praising you in the midst of their sufferings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.